I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 91 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Sarah Marie, and as always, I am so excited to be starting off this week with you. I hope you're having a wonderful summer, and for those of you who have been tuning in live and are starting to think about school, we are in the middle. Actually, we are wrapping up a little mini-series that we have been doing on small group lessons or just small group instruction. This is our third and final episode in the small group series. So if you are a brand new listener, first of all, welcome. I'm so excited you are here, but you might want to go back and listen to episodes number 89 and 90 just to get the full scope of small group instruction. And today, really what I'm going to be doing is a Q&A style episode where I basically have taken as many of the questions that you guys have asked me about small group instruction, and I'm going to answer them in this episode. But before I jump into the Q&A, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that teaching small group reading lessons is hard. It's challenging. It's extra lessons to plan for. It's extra things to manage. It's hard to differentiate. There is just a lot that goes into being an effective small group teacher. And I got so many different questions from teachers that they weren't necessarily a specific question But just teachers saying, I just need help with small groups. Can you provide more information on small groups? I am still struggling with my small groups. Please help. And so I just want you to know that if you have ever felt the struggle or the challenge of being an effective small group teacher, you are not alone. And that is okay. And also, you don't have to be an excellent, most wonderful, perfect teacher in your small reading groups to be an effective teacher. Obviously, small group instruction is one part of teaching, and we want to be really good at it, but you can still be an effective teacher, even if you feel like you are struggling with small group lessons. 
So just know that you're not alone, but I also hope that these episodes have been helpful for you and you feel just a little bit more excited and empowered to tackle small groups this upcoming school year. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into some of these questions, and I do my best to be concise, but if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know I can be long-winded, and as I was preparing this episode, I'm like, oh my gosh, each of these questions could really be a single episode, so I'm going to do my best to answer as many as I can. One question that came up in a variety of ways is, how do you form your groups? And especially teachers that have a large class size. I had a teacher that said, you know, I frequently have 28 or more students in my class. And that's a lot of students to manage. That's a lot of groups to manage. So what tips do you have when forming groups? And when you are forming your reading groups, there's really two things that you need to think about. Logistically, you need to consider, you know, how many groups can you realistically fit into your schedule? And also, how many students can you realistically fit around your small group table? And then there's the actual forming of groups by assigning students to a specific group and figuring out what is the focus going to be of your group. So really, there's two things. Both of these things need to be considered when you are sitting down to form your small groups. Now, before you actually go through the process of assessing students and try to place them into groups, you really need to make a decision on how many groups your schedule can handle. And if you remember back to my very first episode, 89, this is really the very first thing that you need to do in general when you are planning out your small group instructional time. You need to be very realistic with yourself and you need to say, okay, how much time do I have for small groups every single day or every single week? And you need to sort of make a decision on how long are my groups going to run and how many groups can I squeeze in? Because this decision, you know, how many groups you plan on meeting with throughout your week is going to impact how you form your groups as well. And there's so many variations that go into it. So I'm just going to kind of give my recommendations (laughs) and what I think would be, you know, an ideal scenario. So really, ideally, your small groups would be between five and six students. I personally think that groups of seven or more makes it difficult to treat your lessons like an actual small group. And seven or more students just seems to feel more like whole group instruction. It's also really difficult to squeeze seven or more kids around a small group table. Sometimes in upper elementary, you know, fifth grade students, they're almost like the size of adults. It can be even a challenge to get six students around a small group table. But also if you're using, you know, book sets, it can oftentimes be hard to find a book that has seven or more books. And then you've got a student they either have to share or they don't get to take it back to their, you know, their desk with them or you have to make a copy. So even just thinking of materials. But then also if you have seven or more students, it's really hard to really differentiate and engage for those seven students at your table. So ideally, you would like your groups to be between five and six students. Now, you can have groups that are less than that. You can have groups that are three and four. I would avoid having groups of one or two. One is not a group. (laughs) And even two, you really don't get that same sort of, I think, magic when you only have two students. So you can have groups of three or four, but if most of your groups have three or four students, then you're going to end up with a lot more groups, and it's going to be hard for you to meet with them on a frequent basis. In my opinion, I would think at a bare minimum, you want to meet with your small groups at least once a week. And ideally, you'd be able to meet with your groups at least twice a week. And if you have students that are in more, sort of have more intensive reading needs, you want to try to see if there's a way that you can meet with them three or four times a week. But a lot of this is going to depend on what your schedule is going to allow. 
and you can't always control your schedule. You know, so if you really logistically only have time to pull one small group a day, you have to do the best you can with that. And if you can only pull one small group a day, I would suggest having five groups. And that way you meet with every student at least once a week in a small group. But hopefully you have a schedule that allows you to pull at least two small groups a day. And maybe even on some days you can pull three small groups. So if we think about the teacher who has 28 students, you know, if you have groups that are five or six, that means you're going to have five total reading groups, which actually is a very manageable number of reading groups because you could meet with each group really once a week at a minimum and hopefully at least twice a week. So hopefully that gives you kind of some ideas on the formation. But ultimately, before you can begin forming students, you need to really understand what does your schedule allow in terms of the number of groups you can meet with per week. And then, you know, you want to try to keep your groups to sizes of five or six. And really, I would say five groups. If you have six groups, that's just a lot more for you to plan. So I think if there's a way you could have four to five groups with five to six students in each group, that's a really, I think, solid number as far as like the group size. Okay, so now part two of that question is starting to figure out how do you group students within the small group? So, you know, which students are going to fit together within a group? And in order for you to figure that out, you are going to need to have some sort of data so that way you can make a data-informed decision. And so you're going to have to give your students some sort of assessment at the start of the year. And for each student, you know, I would try to gather really as much information as you possibly can about their overall reading abilities. A couple of things that you might want to consider doing is you might want to consider administering a phonics or spelling inventory to get an idea of, you know, their specific word recognition skills and needs. You could also administer an oral reading assessment to gauge their fluency, their accuracy. Their accuracy and fluency would also give you an idea of their word recognition, but a phonics inventory or a spelling inventory is going to really specifically tell you what specific skills your students need. But then an oral reading assessment is also a good way for you to get a general idea of their overall reading comprehension. You know, you can either have a student write about what they've read So then you can also kind of gauge their writing abilities. You can engage in a conversation with them. You can ask them a series of questions. And so that's just a really good way to kind of get a baseline of what your students, where they're at and what they need. Now, more than likely, your district is going to give you some sort of beginning of year assessment. Every school that I have worked at, I always had district mandated assessments. And in some cases, they were helpful. And honestly, in some cases, they were not. And a lot of times in upper elementary your district might give you a beginning of year assessment that mirrors the end of year assessment. So it might be a series of reading passages with multiple choice questions. And I would exercise some caution in using that data to form your small groups for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you are not actually able to listen to your students when they read, you're really going to have no idea of their fluency or their accuracy just based off of them reading a passage silently and answering questions. And so it's going to be really difficult for you to know, do they need help with word recognition? Do they need help with language comprehension? You know, where are their gaps if you're not listening to them read? And then multiple choice questions don't always give you a really accurate understanding of a student's comprehension. One, students could guess and get the correct answer. And also, you might have a student that has really great listening comprehension skills. They might actually have really good language comprehension skills, verbal reasoning skills, you know, concepts of literacy knowledge. But if they struggle with word recognition, they're not going to be able to understand the text and respond appropriately. And, you know, and so they might not necessarily need support with comprehension. They might need support with the word recognition and phonics side of reading. 
but you're not going to know that from a test that is reading passages with multiple choice questions. And so even if your district requires you to administer that test, I would seek out some additional information in order to use that data to inform your small group formation. But at the end of the day, you want to form your students into small groups based off of some sort of data. So some sort of information that is letting you know where your students are at as far as what are their strengths as a reader and what are their opportunities for growth as a reader. And then you want to try to form groups of like students. So students who have similar opportunities for growth would become a reading group. And I also think oftentimes our beginning of year assessments aren't always ideal, what we have access to, you know, the information. And so teaching and assessing isn't always perfect. And so at the end of the day, if the only information you have is from that district mandated assessment, and that is the only tool that you have, then use that to form your groups and do the best you can and remind yourself that your groups are going to change throughout the year. And, you know, the more you get to know your students and the more lessons you teach them through all things in reading, you know, the vocabulary and the word study and your comprehension lessons. And when you're doing read alouds and having discussions and their independent practice, you're going to begin collecting a lot of data on your students. And you can use that information to help you form groups. And your groups are going to change. And so I think at the start of the year, use the data that you have, use whatever data you have in the best way that you can and get started with your groups. And then know that as the year goes on, you're going to have more information about your students and you can adjust as needed. So Hopefully that kind of gives you some idea at least to get started and some sort of like things to consider when you are forming your groups. Okay, another question that I got was, I feel like there are so many different types of small groups. How do I know what type of small group I should use with my students? Example, book clubs, guided reading, guided phonics, strategy lessons, ETC. And I love this question because really there are so many different ways that you can set up and structure your small group lessons. And not every student needs to be in the same type of small group structure. And so it's not like you have to use book clubs for all of your students or a guided phonics lesson for all of your students. And you really can, you know, customize the structure of your small group based off of the needs that your students have. And so let me just kind of run through and explain what some of these are. A book club usually is a student-led small group, so they're not really getting new instruction or support. It's more of like the application of what you've taught them. There's a shared text involved, so they're reading, you know, either a chapter book or a series of articles or whatever it is, and then they are discussing the book club. Book clubs, I think, are great for all students to be a part of because it's a really authentic reading experience, and it's also a chance for students to apply a variety of the comprehension and language skills that you've taught them. And it also gives them an opportunity to work on just like their oral communication skills, their written communication skills. And like I said, it's kind of like a good synthesis of everything coming together. So book clubs are a great option. You can also have more of like a teacher-centered book club. So if you've got students and you really want to challenge and push their overall comprehension, especially like maybe their written response to a book or their analysis, their critical thinking, you could use a book club, but provide more support from the teacher side of things. You can also have a guided reading group. In guided reading, students are usually grouped according to their reading level, and they work through a leveled text. And during your guided reading lessons, you're going to focus on vocabulary, the overall understanding of a text, and oftentimes there's writing about the text. Usually in guided reading, your groups are going to be consistent for a few months. And then maybe as you assess students, they're going to change just based off of their strengths and their opportunities for growth. You might also have some guided phonics groups. Now, a guided phonics group, students are going to be grouped according to their phonics skills. So again, based off of this phonics or spelling inventory that you give at the start of the year, 
during a guided phonics lesson, you're going to do some sort of, you know, phonemic awareness practice. You're going to do some sort of phonics review. You're going to probably introduce a targeted phonics skill or practice. Students are going to practice that target phonics skill reading a decodable text, and there's probably going to be some sort of spelling or dictation practice as well. And then you might also have strategy lessons, and strategy lessons are kind of the small group lessons that are in response to your whole group teaching. So whether you are teaching some sort of word analysis or comprehension skill or, you know, even in writing, whatever it is, if you notice that based off of your whole group lesson, you've got some students that either you know, they had questions during the lesson or their exit ticket showed some sort of, you know, misunderstanding or whatever it is, you might decide that, okay, I need to pull these students and do some sort of quick review or reinforce the concept. And strategy lessons usually aren't like groups that stay consistent for multiple lessons. Maybe you meet with a group of students for two or three times to practice some sort of target skill. And then after they've gotten that practice and mastered it, then the group disbands and you start with a new group again, you know, based off of their response to your whole group instruction. So there's a variety of ways that you could set up your small group lessons. And honestly, they all have benefits, but it kind of goes back to what your students need. Ultimately, the goal of small group instruction is to provide as much differentiated support as you can kind of beyond what you're able to do during your whole group lessons. And so you really need to think, you know, what do students need? If you have students that are needing access to, you know, skills or concepts that are technically below grade level, your small group lessons are a great time to provide them with that support. And at the same time, if you have students who are just, you know, off the charts with their reading and they're extremely fluent and they've got great, you know, language comprehension skills and they think really deeply and critically, you also want to use your small group time to challenge and extend their thinking. And so you want to really just think about what does each individual group need and what small group structure would best meet the needs of those students. And so you might have a variety of small group structures in place in your classroom. You might have a group that is really working on phonics skills and you follow a guided phonics lesson. You might have the majority of your students that are in guided reading groups, or you might have, you know, the majority of your students in book clubs or, you know, however you have it set up. And so I think when you're thinking about small group, the types of small group lessons, Really think about what your students need, but then also think about what are your strengths as a teacher? Where do you really shine? You know, what type of small group lessons are you the most effective at? And also play to your strengths. And so I think it's okay to have a variety of small groups. It's okay to, you know, not every student is going to need the exact same thing and your small group lessons can kind of be reflective of that. So hopefully that kind of helps you give an idea of what could possibly work in your classroom. When I taught upper elementary, I had a combination of all of those. I had book clubs, and some book clubs were student-independent, where they did it all on their own. Some book clubs were, you know, more teacher-guided, and I provided a little more support. I had guided reading groups. I had groups where we focused on, you know, very specific targeted phonics skills, and we're using decodable readers. And I had a variety of those strategy groups, where based off of my whole group lesson, I had students that needed some more support. And at different points in the year, I had a different sort of, like, frequency of the groups. At some points... I had all of my students in a book club because I wanted them to experience, you know, having the ability to discuss a shared text with their classmates and apply all of the skills. And then there were some times in my classroom where we didn't have book clubs at all for a couple months. And so just, I think, being open and flexible to changing up the structure of your small group, depending on what your students need or what is a bigger priority in your classroom. Okay, the next question that I got was, how often should I change or switch my small groups? And I don't feel like you're going to like this answer very much, but it's very truthful. The answer is you should change or switch your groups as often as your students need. 
And I think as teachers, we sometimes want very clear-cut answers, like every three weeks you need to change your groups or at the end of every quarter. But the reality of it is, is depending on the structure of your groups, depending on the specific needs of your students, some groups are going to be sort of like together for longer periods of time than others. And so I think, first of all, trust yourself as a teacher to know when it's time to switch your groups or make an adjustment. And I think, you know, just trust that you can pay attention to the response that your students are giving you, the effectiveness, how your groups flow. But for every teacher, it's going to be a little bit different. But trust yourself. You know your students. You know when your small groups are working or when they're not working. You know, pay attention to their response. And I think even thinking about switching up groups, not only based off of, you know, are my students showing growth as a reader, but does this structure and style of small group work for the overall environment in our classroom and the management side of things? And are, you know, is the amount of time or the style or the planning manageable for me as a teacher? So there's a a bunch of things to kind of like think about, but trust yourself. You'll know when it's time to switch. But there are a couple sort of things to kind of keep in mind. And I think the first one is depending on the nature and structure of your group, some groups might require more or less frequent changes than others. And so Like if you have a group of students and your small group is really structured like a book club and you're working through maybe like a complex novel or you're digging into a series of articles and you're really working on maybe character analysis or text structure and you're, you know, spending a lot of time breaking down vocabulary words and, you know, students are engaged in discussions and they're responding to the text and it's really just, you know, kind of some deep thinking about a text. You want to keep students in that group until they finish the entire text or the book. I sometimes did this when I first started with book clubs, but I wouldn't always let my students finish the book. And they're like, no, we want to get through this. You know, but I was like, no, we have to switch our groups. It's time. You know, so if your students, if the goal is for them to make it through a text or, you know, a specific assignment or a research project in the group, then have that group stay together long enough for the students to complete that specific literacy task. On the other hand, you know, if you're teaching your students during your word study lessons about the different types of syllables, and maybe you realize that after introducing like the vowel team syllable to your students, you might have some students in, you know, third, fourth, or fifth grade that maybe they don't know all of the different vowel team spelling patterns. And so you might realize that these students need a little bit of remediation. And so you might quickly just form a strategy group and spend some time with these students providing some intervention on phonics skills and spelling patterns that are specific to the vowel teams. And after maybe three or four group meetings, the students, they have it, they they figured it out, and you no longer need to keep that group together. And so I think just thinking about what is the goal of the group, what is the objective, and then paying attention to once you've kind of achieved the objective for that group, do I need to keep these students together and start a new objective or focus, or can we switch up the structure of the group Or do I need to add more students to this group or change the structure or the routine of the way I run that small group lesson? So hopefully that makes sense. Another thing to think about when you're making changes to your small group is to consider anytime you gather data on your students, it is a good time for you to reflect on your small groups to make sure that they are still working for you and your students. And oftentimes schools will have beginning of the year assessments, middle of the year assessments, and end of year assessments. And so In general, if you get to the middle of the year and you've given an assessment and you haven't switched your groups yet, you might want to go ahead and look at the data to see what the data reveals and figure out if you need to make any changes. You know, anytime you're doing just assessments based off of your district calendar, that is a good time to reflect and pay attention to your small groups. But also, you know, as a teacher, you can kind of set your own benchmarks and you can say, all right, at the end of every month, I just kind of want to do a quick check in and pay attention to my students. 
and see if they're making growth or progress in their small groups. I'm going to give an updated, you know, phonics inventory. I'm going to do an oral reading assessment and listen to every student read. And I'm just going to kind of get a pulse to see where students are at and make adjustments as needed. And so, again, this is not a very clear-cut answer, but I think it's based off of the type of group you have and how your students are responding to that. I think at at a very minimum, at the middle of the year, you want to make sure that your students are still in the right type of group. But really, you know, like I said, every month, every two months, you can kind of just pause and take some time to administer some updated assessments, reflect on your groups, and figure out if you need to make any changes. I would avoid making changes every few weeks or every single month just because that's going to, you know, change the disruption of your routine. And so I wouldn't make changes super frequently, but you definitely want to be intentional throughout the year to make sure that the students are in the right groups and are benefiting from the type of instruction they're receiving at your small group table. Okay, another question that I got a lot was, I struggle with time management. And, you know, a teacher said, and I related to this so very, very much, but they said, I try to plan my groups for 15 minutes, but they usually end up being more like 20. And then I can never get through as many groups as I have planned. How can I make sure my small groups don't go too long? And uh, I was like, oh, this was totally me when I first started teaching. And so I think there's a couple of things that can help with time management. I think, first of all, if time management is something that you struggle with, I think it's really important for you to be realistic with yourself and your schedule. You know, I have always been somebody that overestimates what I can get done in the amount of time that I had, but I know that about myself now. And so I always build in just extra buffer time for everything that I do. And when I taught second grade, I had 45 minutes for centers and small group instruction. And during that time, my plan was to meet with three groups for 15 minutes each. But that 45 minutes also included all of our transition time. And more than likely, I would have some sort of interruption, whether it was a student interrupting or, you know, a phone call from the office or I needed to grab a material or whatever it was. Ultimately, I never made it through three groups that were 15 minutes. What I usually ended up doing is I would have two groups and those groups would usually be about 17 minutes long because I had a hard time keeping my lessons short. And then I would still try to get that third group in, but it would end up being like five or seven minutes long and it was never complete. And honestly, if I'm trying to get through a small group lesson in five to seven minutes, it's going to be rushed and ineffective. And I realized that it was really pointless for me to try to squeeze in an extra group when my schedule and teaching style just didn't allow for it. And so I changed up my own expectations and rather trying to do something that was unrealistic for my schedule, I started to only pull two small groups and I budgeted 20 minutes. So that way I knew that I had enough time for my whole lesson plus transition time. And then I would use that extra five minutes at the end. And if I had a little bit of extra, I would either use it to do a reading conference or to assess a student or to even use that extra five minutes to like catch my breath or look at my next lesson plans or to observe what the rest of my class was doing, whether it was independent reading or workstations, and just kind of get a pulse on, okay, how are they doing independently? And so, you know, I think it's important for you to realize that if you are constantly not making it through your groups in the amount of time that you set, then you probably need to extend even, you know, more time or, you know, just kind of adjust what you're expecting yourself to do within your allotted small group instructional time. And making that adjustment to my schedule really made my small groups much more effective because I no longer felt rushed. I knew I had enough time to make it through my lessons. And then I also was not creating a small group schedule that did not allow me to meet all of my groups. Because if you think about it, if I was planning on meeting with three groups and every day there was one group that was getting shortchanged, 
my small group instruction plan was really not working, which means my students weren't getting the benefit that I had originally planned on. Now, other things that you can do to help with time management, I think that, you know, making sure that you have all of your materials prepped and planned. And later this summer, I am doing a podcast episode that is all about how to save time in the upcoming school year. And one of the things I talk about is batch planning. And when you batch plan your small group lessons, you guarantee that all of your materials are prepped and ready to go. And so all you have to do is sit down at that table, pull out those lesson materials, and you can get started right away. So I think making sure that you are planned for your small group lessons. Other things that you can do, set a timer or have a clock at your table just to help you be aware of the time. I think sometimes we can just lose track of how long things actually take us. And so even just seeing the timer, it's like, okay, I've been in with this small group now for five minutes. We need to keep moving so we can get through the objective or you know whatever we're trying to accomplish today. So having a timer, but then I also think having a very set lesson structure or lesson script can really help. And whatever it is, like whether it's a book club, guided reading, guided phonics, or strategy lesson, having a specific system for your small group lessons. You know, it's like we're going to spend a minute. And I like to use, and I use this often, I call it the 4T model. And it can work for any objective, but you're going to target your skill or your focus for the lesson, whether that is vocabulary, some sort of word analysis, comprehension, you know, writing about reading, whatever it is, you're going to target it in a minute or two minutes. You're going to teach about it or really reteach about it, provide some sort of guidance, direction, instruction. And then the third T is tackle. And this is really where the bulk of your small group lesson is going to be spent, where students are going to be either reading a text, manipulating some sort of words, writing about a text, whatever it is. You want them actually doing something in small group. And then the fourth T is to transfer and reminding students then how can they apply this focus to their independent reading and beyond. But having that set structure for all of my lessons really made it easy to be like, okay, I know how much time I can spend on each portion of my lesson. I know what I'm doing next. I know how my students are going to be engaged. And even just something like that can help you make the most of your small group lesson. So I think having a specific structure or script can really help you stick to a set time frame within your small groups. Okay, so I know I only got to four questions, but I... Hope that I was able to answer them in depth enough to where you feel like you have enough information. And then, of course, with the past two episodes that I did as well to get started with small groups this next year. I know that this is a topic that is just so important for teachers. And so I already have a couple episodes planned for this upcoming school year just to help with some small group support. Because like I said, at the start of this episode, I know so many teachers just feel, you know, like I said, it's one extra, not even one extra. There oftentimes are multiple groups that you need to plan for, find materials for, the management. There is just so much that goes into small group instruction. And so I want to continue to support you throughout this year as you get started with your small groups. But I really hope that you have found this small group series to be helpful. And we have one more little series planned for this summer of Connected Episodes. And starting in August, we are going to be doing a series all about word study in upper elementary and how to put together an effective word study block, you know, activities that you can use during word study, what you should focus on. I know a lot of teachers inside the Stellar Teacher Reading Membership have been asking questions about word study. And that's actually something that we've been focusing a lot on in July inside the membership But if you've got questions about word study, definitely tune in in August. And I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you back here next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, 
It would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.